Lord be with you. And also with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. God's mercy endures forever. Where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west and the cool of the north touches the calm of the south and the transcendent power of God touches earth in the humility of Christ. Here where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country, we gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered this day in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written and emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of service in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God. May we pray. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the swift and varied changes of the world, 
our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Beloved, Lent is meant to remind us of the priority of worship and to help us find a way to worship. Worship brings the insight of personal need lifted in prayer. Worship brings the insight of another's hurt lifted in communal singing of four-part harmonic hymns. Worship brings the insight of clarity in a word fitly spoken lifted in the sermon. Worship brings the insight of choosing, the choice of faith, not thrill but will, lifted in the invitations to devotion, discipline, and dedication. Worship brings the insight of loyalty of heart, lifted every Sunday in the offering of gifts and tithes. As the choir offers our Kyrie, may we pause for a moment of silent personal confession. Let us pray. Good news, if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be Thank to God. A lesson from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The word of the Lord.
Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 119 with Antiphon. people keep their way pure by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Do not let me stray from your commandments. I treasure your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the ordinances of your mouth. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your as you are able for the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. Glory to you, O Lord. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will be my servant, or there my servant will be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. 
Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake and not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The Gospel of the Lord. <coughs> Praise, Praise to you, you Lord, Lord Christ. be seated. From Limestone, Maine to Cherubusco, New York to the shores of the Upper Peninsula, Michigan, today's sap is boiling. Forty gallons of maple sap for every gallon of syrup boiled in the steamy hothouse of March with delicious donuts alongside. The fire is stoked, steaming, warm, and beautiful. We warm our hands this morning on that kind of fire the gospel of Jesus Christ in scripture and doctrine and application. Jesus' fate, as you know, has now been sealed just before our gospel reading. Unfortunately, many times our lectionary lessons can be hard to follow because they are cut away from what precedes or follows. Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead just a few verses back. This seals his doom. In John, it is not the cleansing of the temple that puts Jesus on the cross. That has been done 10 chapters ago, an age in biblical time. No, what gets him in ultimate trouble is resurrection, his resurrection, his power, his love, his presence, and especially his voice that brings people from one location to another. In this case, out of one religion and into another, out of the synagogue and into the church, out of tradition and into gospel, out of law and into grace, out of discipline and into love. For Lazarus, this is good. For Jesus, not so. 
voice can get you in trouble still. Then Mary wipes Jesus' feet with her hair, and then Judas plots his downfall, and then, Judas, then Jesus rides the donkey, and then Jesus calls the crowd who saw what happened with Lazarus, and then notice the Greeks come and ask for him, meaning all the nations, meaning all the unreligious, meaning the future, meaning us. Then Jesus prays for glorification, meaning crucifixion. The cross is the turning point between past and future, death and life, miscommunication and understanding. It is glory in John. Even the ever so human quaking prayer of Jesus in the garden in the other gospels, let this cup pass from me, is gone here in John. What? Shall I ask to be saved? No. I have come for just this purpose, this hour. Again, like glory in John, hour is a code word for the cross. The Greeks, the Greeks precede the religious, like the harlots preceding the Pharisees in the other earlier gospels. We would see Jesus, they say. What happens is slightly different. They see, but more they hear him. They hear a compelling voice. They hear and heed a compelling voice for which they have no other manner of description than to use words like heavenly and thunderous. This is a highly charged, very meaningful passage for all its brevity, as Rudolf Bultmann might have reminded us. For we are Greeks ourselves, not raised within Judaism. So our access to Jesus and its depiction here are crucial. They, the Greeks, and we also, Gentiles, come to Jesus by way of the apostles, Philip and Andrew. Not Peter and Andrew, Philip and Andrew. John has Peter on a pretty short leash all gospel long. That is, we come to life through a set of traditions, but the traditions themselves are not the life itself. We come to life through a set of traditions but the traditions themselves are not the life itself. We have to translate the traditions into insights for effective living if they are to allow access to life. Then the matter of what this closeness to Jesus means is considered, and what is it? It's not a heightened religious experience. It's not a mystical reverie. It's not an emotional cataclysm. It is service. One finds him in service with and to him. One knows him walking alongside him. One gains access to him by loving him and in him loving others. In his service there is freedom, even if you will, perfect freedom. Service step by step and day by day finally gives way to and leads to death the rounding and finishing of life. Death, the rounding and finishing of life. Have we together found our path, our shared ways of service? Are we walking in the light? With angel voices and thunder and a prophecy of being lifted up, the community of the beloved disciples sees again in retrospect, as we do each Holy Week and Easter, the paradox of victory in defeat, of life in death, of love conquering the ruler of this world. The ruler of this world is not a phrase in reference to God, to God the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. The phrase is archon to cosmu, the ruler of this world, the demigod, the half-god, who in Gnostic thought mistakenly and haphazardly created the world. Jesus casts out the archon, the ruler of this world, and so can be offered to and understood by Greeks tinged with a hint or more than a hint of Gnosticism. I guess you could interpret this passage without reference to Gnosticism, but just how would you do? 
The service of love renders impotent the ruler of this world and all his minions. Service in love is eternal. Puzzling, though, is the phrase, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. What is this? The second glory is the cross, but the first, simply an assertion that the God of the future is also the God of the past, perhaps. I do not. All these years later, I do not quite understand it. At all events, in the community of the beloved disciple, people have found a way, much truth, and new life. A voice, heavenly and thunderous, has spoken to them, a voice given for their sake. As last week, the judgment once reserved for the end of time or for the eternal realms or for both has come, is now. The bottom line cash value of resurrection in the Gospel of John is speech the possibility of saying something that can be heard, of saying something saving that can savingly be heard. While not limited to preaching in the narrow and certainly not limited to an ecclesiastical voice, still, judgment and salvation in the here and now by this gospel and this chapter of this gospel are a dire matter, a crucial matter of hearing and speaking. It is then, as we move from scripture to doctrine, surely to speaking and preaching in the ministry of Jonathan Edwards to which we turn. Each Lent from the Marsh pulpit, we engage a Calvinist interlocutor. This year, Edwards of Northampton, Massachusetts, 1703 to 1758. Jonathan Edwards preached the beauty of God or God as perfect beauty. In our time when the true and the good tend to outweigh the beautiful in preaching, this may be a healthy recollection. He made full use of the psychology and science of his day, then Locke and Newton. In our day when only sporadic connections between faith and science, preaching and Darwin and Einstein occur, this may be a fruitful reminder. Edwards provided that rare combination an ability to reason metaphysically about human nature in subtle philosophical terms alongside a deep commitment to evangelism and church renewal. That is, he could no more affirm philosophy without faith than he could countenance faith without philosophy. Had and heart he distinguished from one another but did not oppose to one another. Had and heart he distinguished from one another but did not oppose to one another. We may find this a personally welcome encouragement along a trail that sometimes seems a bit lonely. Jonathan Edwards, in concert with John Calvin and to a full degree in concert with the great traditions of the church, understood the purpose of life to be found in seeking God's glory. So a daily question for us would be, can I do this or say this or desire this to the glory of God. If I read him and his interpreters properly, Edwards did lean, a, did lean a little more fully toward the affections. Feeling and sense make up the more profound level of human experience, he wrote. Here, Edwards, William James, John Wesley, Soren Kierkegaard, among others, agree. We need most the beauty of holiness, that is, a spiritual understanding consisting primarily in the sense of the heart of that spiritual beauty. For our Marsh year-long inquiry about spirit, we may take here from him the confidence that the Holy Spirit makes possible a new sensible knowledge. Its consequence, a stout reminder to us, love is benevolence or goodwill to others the disposition which one has who desires and delights in the good of another. A fair summary of Christianity. To sum up in the words of John Smith, God wants out of the depths of his love to have in the creation of being capable of appreciating the beauty, the excellency, and the splendor of the divine gloria as it appears in the creation.
Edwards spent his life speaking and writing to prepare for speaking and publishing both his thoughts and his senses once he had spoken. He stands as a bulwark against any capitulation of the pulpit of the church to anything short of divine excellency, glory, beauty, and love. Jen and I go to Stockbridge, Massachusetts, the location of Edward's last pulpit sometimes for a night or two. It helps us to find our way. In these Lenten sermons, talking with Edwards in light of the gospel in scripture, we have moved from scripture to doctrine as now to application. Edwards' evocation of the beauty of creation and his Johannine efforts in voice and speech readily take us straightway to the issues of our daily lives. Day by day, we are finding our way. Fyodor Dostoevsky gives dear Alyosha one of our verses as his signature in Crime and Punishment. Except a grain of wheat fall into the earth and die, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He placed the same verse Dostoevsky did upon his tombstone. In service, we are finding our way. The little daily death of service, the service of Christ, and the re responsive service in Christ is that which finally bears lasting fruit. We shall wonder on our way home about the performative adequacy of our service in him. For instance, the full humanity of gay people and current discrimination against them in the United Methodist Church of which from this pulpit we have spoken numerous times, continues to engage our service. With some courage, several church leaders this year published a book of divergent views regarding Christian faith and homosexuality in United Methodism titled, Finding Our Way. With respect for these writers, several of whom I know personally and a couple of whom I count as real friends, and one of whom you have heard from this pulpit not so many years ago, I present a book review attached to the print form of this sermon and available on my blog and also in copy form in our office today, along with a few copies of the book reviewed and copies of a resolution that I have submitted and which has been approved for consideration in my home conference of Upper New York. With respect, that is, and out of love, I differ with most of what is written in Finding Our Way. The review will give the details. But the singular heart of that difference is the gospel itself. Our gospel reading today, taking its place within the full gospel of John, and thereby within the eternal day of grace in Jesus Christ, celebrates the liberality of the gospel, the good news of a father's house in which there are many rooms. A page over from our lectionary reading, they have to be read in context, we have the announcement, in my father's house there are many rooms. This is the liberality of the gospel of grace, freedom, pardon, acceptance, forgiveness, mercy, and love, many rooms. One for the sisters, cousins, and aunts of John Wesley, we can hope, but others for Mahatma Gandhi, Anwar Sadat, Elie Wiesel, the Dalai Lama, Pope John XXIII, and yes, John Calvin. There is no traction, no space in such a gospel for bigotry, bigotry on the basis of status, class, race, gender, embodiment, or orientation. In my father's house, there are many rooms. After the naming of the rooms in John 14, the Johannine Jesus goes on to say that he is way, truth, and life. That is, wherever there is a way, wherever there is truth, and wherever there is life, there he is. So no one comes to the father except through a way that in truth leads to life. And wherever anyone truly finds that way and truth and life, there and then they have found or been found by Jesus Christ. We used to sing growing up, give me land, lots of land, neath the starry skies above. 
That is a musical setting, it could be, for the liberality of today's gospel. In finding our way, the rest of the Bible can help us and teach us too. Jesus could teach us in Matthew 25 about caring for the least. Paul could teach us in Galatians 3 about the end of social distinctions. John could teach us, as he does today in John 12 and also later in John 14, about the priority of love. That is, as we continue to pray and work for the acceptance and full affirmation of sexual minorities in our time and in our churches, we do so listening to and listening for the gospel, that voice. Again today, you will be puzzled that there is no ethical teaching in John, which there is not, no moral exhortation, no Sermon on the Mount, no Sermon on the Plain, none, with one exception. Love one another as I have loved you. I grew up among people whom I think of when I go to the quiet mountains of Stockbridge, Massachusetts, whither Jonathan Edwards was banished about 1750. These people were practical people. They loved God by loving the things of God. So they loved nature, they loved work, they loved other people. They loved other people. People down on luck, different, in the minority, outside, excluded. They loved country, they loved church, they loved family. At their best, their love was as high as Mount Marcy and as deep as Seneca Lake and as shimmering as glimmer glass and as powerful as Niagara and as steady as the Hudson and as wide as Ontario and all outdoors. They knew from harsh experience the brevity of life, the horror of loss in death, the stinging pain of grief. They trusted the giver of life to give eternal life and then tried to live eternal life here and now in service. I see them, these loving people, many now dead. Instinctively they eschewed exclusion owing perhaps to a dim memory of their own times of having been excluded. I wonder if over time, in our time, we could see our way clear to do the same. In a few weeks, most of the sugar season will end. The fires will be doused until another March. The snow will partly melt. The sap becomes syrup will be shaped into candies or bottled and sold. Some churches, poor by worldly standards, poor by urban standards, We'll hold a spring supper with the most delicious of foods, ham and beef and everything you could want or imagine. And for dessert, they will bring you a bowl of snow, your victory over what you have battled all winter, now served up to you. To the victor go the spoils. You now lord for a moment of nature and winter and snow. And a hot pitcher of steaming syrup Someone will pour upon the snow, and it will crackle and congeal and become a heavenly sweetness. And you will enjoy a foretaste of spring, as we hope, come Sunday, in scripture and doctrine and application, you savor a foretaste of heaven. We now come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer. Please assume a posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as the choir leads us in our call to prayer.
Please respond to each petition with, Lord, hear our prayer. For political leaders, may they be inspired by the great leaders of the past, treasuring their wisdom and bravery. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For our faith community, despite a world often marred by competition and consumerism, may we learn to live our lives with simplicity, generosity, and humility. We pray to the Lord. For all Christians who criticize, judge, and condemn those who are different, may we embrace and celebrate all the differences God fashioned. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For those who are sick in mind and body, especially those suffering from grief, loneliness, addiction, and despair, may their, may their lives be full of God's kindness and compassion. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Now we pray with the words Jesus spoke with us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. peace of God be always with you. We would like to take a chance to welcome you once again to Marsh Chapel, a sanctuary amongst a city, a place of peace in times of stress and chaos. We hope that you find a home here and that wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you continue to journey with us. A great way for us to connect with you and help you connect with one another is to fill out your contact information in the red books towards the center of each pew. So please fill those out and pass them along. Marsh Chapel is a living, breathing chapel and we're particularly buzzing at Linton in this holy time. And we'd like to update you on a few announcements here from the chapel. Directly following the service will be refreshments downstairs. This is a great time for fellowship and coffee. Please feel free to join us. There is a broomball game tonight with our broomball team walking on water at 11.30 p.m. and we are in need of student players. So please see Reverend Soren Hessler after the service if you're interested. Tomorrow night, Louise Sullivan, a great politician, professor of medicine and civil rights activist will be holding a conversation with Dean Ken Freeman in SMG from 4.30 to 6 and you are all welcome to attend. Also, please make note in your calendars that our annual hymn sing has moved to April 26th. This Saturday, we'll be holding Marsh Chapel's first annual global meditation retreat from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. This retreat's going to walk through a lot of different meditation practices from around the world. So if you're new or a beginner to meditation and just want to try a variety, this is perfect for you. It's free and lunch will be provided. We do have limited spots, so please come see me after the service if you're interested in attending next Saturday. Art Vespers continues tonight for our Linton art series with painting and breakfast for dinner, which our students affectionately call Brinner. So please join us at 6.30 in Robinson Chapel for that. 
With Palm Passion Sunday coming up next week, it's shock to all of us that Easter is right around the corner, which means you have one week left to dedicate a lily. And you can do that by filling out the form in your bulletin or talking to Katie No after the service or even going online to fill out a form there. Additionally, if you would like to volunteer for Easter breakfast or supply donations of food, talk to Katie No after the service where she has a sign-up sheet for you at coffee hour. Beyond all of these great opportunities for um, donations and for volunteerism, we do hope that you join us in spirit and in presence here in Marsh Chapel on Easter Sunday. We have three vibrant services for you from 7.30 a.m., 9 a.m., and 11 a.m., and we would so love to share in that most sacred day with you. Other events and activities can be found on our website at bu.edu chapel, where there's also an opportunity for online giving, and we are sustainable depending upon your support. So we really appreciate that. As we beckon the ushers forward, let us be reminded now that it is a gift to be a giver. Whether you're at home listening on the radio or sitting in community with us this Sunday, we now as a community have an ancient practice of Christian generosity to share in together. As the choir lifts us up in song, may you find yourself being as generous as you are able.
Gracious God, you have given us the gifts of compassion and mercy to love one another and embody your peace on earth. Accept our gifts before you today and grant that they may inspire joy and healing in the life of all your creation. Bless them through your Son, Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Spirit. Amen. bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forever. Amen. <laughs>